0: Hello, and welcome to Cosmic Cassette, an exploration into the sonic unknown. I'll be inviting the artists, DJs, producers, and labels who carry the mantle for sound across the musical sphere. I'll be asking my guests to pick five tracks that were particularly formative in their musical journey and which they would like to send up to space on a cassette tape to teach a newly discovered alien life force about life on Earth. My name is Matt Redley, the host of the podcast. I'm a music obsessive and a lover of all things otherworldly, and I'm looking forward to exploring new worlds in sound with you. We'll journey through galaxies and past stars together to send my guest transmissions to our extraterrestrial friends. For rights reasons, this podcast includes a jingle instead of the music. But to hear this episode with the music included, head to cosmiccassette.co.uk to hear this and all other episodes, or search Cosmic Cassette on SoundCloud. My guest goes by the name of Van or Annabelle Van Dort. Annabelle is a DJ, digger, and an enthusiastic seller of records who is deeply connected to sound, selecting tracks from a wide range of genres as a DJ and as a member of the legendary Sounds of the Universe record shop in Soho. With a regular show on Peckham-based internet radio station Ballamy, she regularly reaches for dub, folk, ambient and disco music on her shows. Alongside her current musical output, she's also delved into the books too, having studied at UCL reading English and has also been at SOAS. Her talents also stretch to live music as well, as a folk singer-songwriter, previously citing Leonard Cohen, Bonnie Iver, and Angel Olsen as some of her key influences. At Sounds of the Universe, she is constantly recommending and surrounded by reggae, disco, funk, and soul, and Latin music, amongst many other sounds that the shop is known for. So I can't wait to hear what she's chosen to send up to space. I hope you enjoy. Annabelle, thanks so much for coming on to Cosmic Cassette.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a nice little bio. <laughs> I've done some research. <laughs> I was like, how did you find all the, the singer-songwriter stuff? I literally thought I'd wiped it from
0: the internet. <laughs> I had to do some digging down some quite old web pages. What was that period like? Are you still doing that now?
1: I want to get back into it. When I was at UCL, I started writing my own songs and doing a like gig circuit around London and like played with two other musicians. I really did it intensely for like maybe a year and a half. And then I took a break, I was like, I'm going to record. And then I started DJing and I don't know, DJing just ended up taking up all of my time and it paid, <laughs> <laughs> helped me get out of my student overdrafts. Whereas I think I only got paid like once for singing. But like over COVID I wrote music. I just never released anything, but I started distancing myself away from the folky stuff. But yeah, I want to get back
0: into yeah. it. Yeah, It feels like that side of you it's just dormant you can come back to it whenever you want and in terms of the stuff you were writing was it stuff that was influenced by your own life or or another direction
1: yeah I was in my like sad girl's music era <laughs> I very much was like channeling yeah. that like my boy problems or <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was also part of it that made me move away from it because it felt a bit personal and like if you're doing a gig and it doesn't go the way you want it to and you're like, bearing your soul it's a bit more brutal to if you're doing a DJ set and like maybe it doesn't go the best. Like there's more of a distance, I think. But that's also part of the the fun in writing songs, like the vulnerability and stuff.
0: So it sounds like you were juggling your studies and then doing singing on the side as well. Was that a really hectic schedule?
1: Well, I was an English student, so I had like zero contact hours. And I must say my attendance was pretty shocking. But my parents, although they like loved watching me sing they were always very concerned I was going to pack it all in and just decided I want to do the music thing full time which I never did but I think I was definitely distracted at that point in my life the the balance between studies and music were maybe a little bit uneven and then when I went to soas I think I balanced it out a bit more and got more into my studies and as a result maybe the the singing suffered a bit
0: yeah and then in terms of the timeline of you thinking about DJing, had you been playing about with records at home and then it just felt like a natural step to look into internet radio?
1: Yeah, it was like a complete accident, to be honest. Like, I wasn't really conscious of DJ culture until I went to university. Like, I had no idea... And then i started buying records in my second year of uni so it wasn't something i had been doing for a particularly long time and i would just go on like little solo adventures around london just like looking up record shops on my break from the library i would go to sounds of the universe and yeah i just used to go in there quite a lot and then that's how i got a job because they like spotted me <laughs> and and i gave in a cv but one of my colleagues wayne he also clocked me so that's how i yeah i got into records and then I had a couple of friends who set up a radio station and a friend recommended me as someone who was interested in it. And it was called VIP Mix and it was run out of their flat. And yeah, it was a really lovely like introduction to radio. Oh yeah, I did a radio course at Worldwide FM. And then that combined with working at Sounds the Universe, I think helped me get on Ballamy, And then people just listened to my Ballamy shows. Someone was looking for a jazz DJ and I was like, I can do it. I'd never done it before, but just turned up and played some records and then it just went from there. But it was never something that I'd ever really considered. It just happened quite organically, which has been nice, but I've also felt quite unprepared (laughs) a lot of the
0: time. Well, I've seen you DJ a couple of times now and I definitely don't get that sense of unpreparedness. You look natural and have a deep concentration (laughs) when you're playing. Which is not, like, a diss at all, but you look in control, if that's any consolation.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, every time I see a picture of myself when I'm DJing, like, my brow is so forward. I'm, like, so in the zone. But I think a lot of it is because I do get quite nervous. And I think, as a DJ, I really have to get into my own space when I'm DJing. I don't know, you see so many great DJs when I'm out or on Instagram, and they're so, like, bouncing off the crowd and they really thrive off that connection whereas sometimes I think I find that a bit scary and I have to get into the zone of my own music which is probably like I'm blocking everyone out which is why I look so concentrated (laughs) sometimes I get into it but a lot of the time I'm like (gasps) I gotta (laughs) gotta get into the zone it's
0: so difficult to juggle that that performance of having a good time because you want to show that you're like part of the part of the event as well don't you but then there is such concentration required with like putting two records together and thinking what you're gonna play next
1: no for sure I was talking about this to my friends the other day because we were also talking about like appearances and making sure you like look good on pictures or whatever or someone's filming you and they were like what other jobs do you have to consider that like you're literally turning up to do work and you have to think about all these other things as well as actually DJing it can be a bit overwhelming I think (laughs) but I'm trying not to care about it too much like it's about the music and I have to remind myself of that.
0: Yeah and I guess internet radio really lends itself to that doesn't it because you don't have to think about anything else you can just really focus on the tracks and dip in with your voice when you want or when sounds are natural but otherwise the music can speak for itself.
1: Yeah I know for sure and I feel like internet radio is a really good way to discover the sounds that you enjoy like when I started my Balami show I was really playing more like new jazz and now I feel like as years have gone on I can look back at my radio shows and see all the different sounds I was experimenting with and you're not really like held to one sound you can push wherever you want to go whereas with a DJ set it depends on the crowd but you're usually booked for a specific event but for your radio show you have that freedom.
0: Yeah definitely and so I was listening to your July show and You were like, oh, this, this is like a really good tune." I'm like dipping back into the classics. And I think your mum had found a tune that you really liked. I wondered if your mum and your family had played a big part in what you're interested in exploring from a musical perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like more my dad when I was younger. And I think as I've been listening to more like eighties soul and boogie, I've found intersections with my mom. But as I like talk about when we talk about music, like my dad used to buy loads of CDs. And when I was younger, I used to discover them like secondhandly through him. Like I would just take them and put them in the CD player. Like when I was revising and stuff. And that's how I was really into like indie bands and stuff when I was younger. And like all those alternative like 2000s things. And yeah, that was to my dad. And my dad was a massive Northern Soul fan. But I remember when my dad used to play Northern Soul, I used to not like it that much. I thought it was really cheery and upbeat. And I was I was too like, oh, I want to listen to The Smiths <laughs> or something. And I've inherited some records for them. I say inherited, I just found them and repossessed. So yeah, some really great 12s from my mum that I play all the time. And some nice stuff from my dad. But there's some mystical box of records. It's called all of his like, jazz funk records. And he has no idea where they are. But he'll be playing like Lonnie Liston-Smith and he'll go, oh, I had this. And I'm like, where is it? I want it. <laughs> but it's never yeah, turned up.
0: That's the Holy Grail somewhere in your house.
1: Yeah, or my grandparents' house, which might mean it's been given away, which I hope not. I hope not. In an attic somewhere. If you ever find
0: it, it will be the most special day.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: I think it's a good time to listen to your first record and um, be great just to hear from you like what your thought process was with the tracks and then what the first track that you want to send up in spaces
1: cool so the first track is a green day song and it's called Jesus of Suburbia so I picked this track because I feel like it was the first time I remember being really moved by a piece of music I remember I had this distinct memory I was living in Malaysia at the time with my family and we were in Borneo and we were going on this really long car journey and my dad had his tiny little mp3 player and he just gave it to me to listen it's past the time and I was listening to that American Idiot album and then I came across Jesus of Suburbia which I think is like the second track and I'd never heard music tell a story like that before. I think I was about eight at this point and I I still think it's a really great song but like it's so in your face I can really understand why it captured my imagination when I was that age because it's so like big and bold and really theatrical. And I I was a musical theatre kid into my my early teens. So I think this was, it was like edgy musical theatre in a way. And it really resonated with me. And I thought it would be, yeah, interesting to beam into space because I think it's a bit of a time capsule to that like 2000s political environment, about suburban malaise, and also being young, being bored. But also when you're young, like to do with the theatricality of it. Like everything seems like a big deal, even when you're talking about the mundane things. And yeah, apparently as an eight-year-old, that resonated with me because it's split into four parts. There's different songs and the melodies change. And I-, I think I really enjoyed that. Like I didn't know what was coming next, who all these different characters were. But yeah, that's why I picked this one.
0: It is a crazy tune. I mean, I... I had a listen again and it has an almost like Bohemian Rhapsody feel to it. There's there's definitely stages to it and the video is so over the top and in your face.
1: Yeah, it's like a nostalgia bomb. But yeah, that whole album I loved Green Day so much. Like I remember like when I was in year seven, I like I had this pencil case and I wrote like all the like emo pop punk bands I liked on it, and it was like Green Day right in the middle. I like cut up the album artwork and put it on my wall. <laughs> and, like, I just loved it. And then I got into my chemical romance afterwards, which are similar with that whole concepts theater thing.
0: <laughs> so you're in your musical theater era at the moment. What musical theater are we talking? Were you actually on stage at the time, or just enjoying musical theater as a thing?
1: I think, like my mum loves musical theater, and like it was something that I aspired to. Like obviously, we do all the school plays, and when I got older, like I got more involved in it and did all the like. School plays and then stuff outside of school. And there was definitely a point in my life where I was like, I want to be on the stage, which I'm very glad that I grew out of because I don't think it's the nicest end of the music industry. But I, I love like Lames. I think again, it's, it's like big anthems and it's super emotional. I mean I'm not opposed to musical theatre now I think there are some great musicals I like more of the campy end of stuff like the more lighthearted stuff but yeah when I was younger it was all like I wanted to be Eponine and Les Mis so bad or like being Phantom of the Opera or something (laughs) because American Idiot they made it into a musical yeah it was a Broadway show so I think it really makes sense I loved it so much.
0: Yeah now you it's just such a natural home for it the melodies in it I think really lend itself to musical theatre don't they because it's just so like rousing yeah.
1: oh yeah definitely definitely I do think if I heard it now I would probably not like it that much like if I heard it with like fresh ears I'd probably be like what is what what are they talking about this is a bit over the top I don't know I could see myself being a little snooty about it
0: I can't see you recommending it in Sounds of the Universe nowadays.
1: Definitely not. I don't know what people will think about me talking about it. Might lose my job.
0: All my cool cred. I think the word would get around (laughs) that you're trying to push Green Day on people who would much prefer a nice spiritual jazz album. In terms of your regular customers, do you have anyone who comes in and you really know their taste and know what they're looking for? And it's an easy recommendation.
1: Yeah, for sure. I feel like there are lots of people who have been coming like every week for a decade.
0: And it's quite easy
1: to uh, pigeonhole people. You know who your like reggae guys are. Then you have like the new jazz, jazz funk dads. Oh yeah, jazz funk dad you can see from a mile off. And then you have like the like cooler... Hackney dads who are really into like the house and techno, and then lots of younger people too. And it's not solely men who come into the shop, but there definitely is a slight gender imbalance of who comes in. And the regulars do tend to be like men over the age of fifty, so you can read them quite quite easily. But I love recommending stuff to people. That's the most fun part of the job because when you really get something right and someone's so happy about it, you feel very fulfilled on the other end of that interaction. I yeah, think.
0: yeah, definitely. Wicked. I think that leads us on nicely to your second track. What's the second track you're going to be sending up into space?
1: So the second track I've picked is Holocene by Bon I picked this one because I think it really sums up this stage in my life. Doing my GCSEs, going into my dad's study, picking up like random CDs because I like the cover. I remember I listened to the first Bon Iver album and I liked it but it was just nice like played it you know to some fleet boxes the national then I found the second album I remember this track came on and I honestly thought it was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life and I still think it is one of the most beautiful pieces of music at least created in recent years in my humble opinion just everything about it the arrangements the melodies the lyrics Justin Vernon's voice I even love the art on the CD I think it really suits the mood of the song and I picked this one to be beamed up on my cassette because I feel like it really sums up something about the human experience like there's a lyric that's like I once I knew I was not magnificent and I feel like it's all about realizing your insignificance as a human but like not in a overwhelmingly sad way he like contrasts that thought with you know personal memories and there's like, a lot of references to nature and like the beauty of the natural world and it's just part of being human like knowing that you're like one tiny speck within this giant universe and there's something really beautiful in that and I really like words like I did English and I remember Holocene was one of those words that I was like oh that's great my dad's a geologist so I was like oh that's interesting I understand something about geology and like Holocene is basically like the 10,000 years of human existence, it's like an epoch. But within the song, I mean, this is my interpretation. It's describing a life, and your one life within these 10,000 years is like a whole universe, too.
0: I was looking up like the song again today, and he recorded it in Wisconsin. I think he's from Wisconsin. And it's so desolate, and apparently he recorded it on christmas eve and he was like walking through the snow with his friend and they just like came up to a dark area in the town and uh, yeah that line really sticks in my mind but not significant at all i think he's also saying a life is really significant but it's also not significant at all which is such a poetic thing to put into words isn't it
1: no for sure like finding meaning within the knowledge of that and significance i was also thinking i've listened to this song i don't know countless times And there are so many lines, I have absolutely no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) All of it is so beautiful, like it's written so beautifully, but like the meaning I cannot find. (laughs) And I think that's the part of it is, you know, so much of life is a mystery. You think you understand the gist of it. It moves me anyway. But what you're saying about him living in Wisconsin, I lived in the Midwest for like a year in Ohio. And there was just something about the atmosphere of the song. I remember the winters, it was so cold and it got dark so early. And the desolate expanses, (laughs) you'd just be like strolling along, freezing cold. And this really captures that mood. I don't know. Yeah, it really reminds me of that time as well.
0: I'd love to go to Ohio just to see that expanse of nothingness, especially living in London and being around movement and Matter just being all around you, and to have that contrast must just be quite a shock to the system almost.
1: Yeah, I hadn't lived in London when I'd lived there, I was coming from like home counties, and then I went to Ohio. So, in a way, it was a little bit of a continuation, but I haven't been back since I lived there. And I imagine if I went back after having lived in like the chaos for how many years, yeah, it would be a massive shock to the system. But there was something very beautiful about it. It was quiet. I did a lot of reading and, like, thinking. (laughs) Wrote lots of music and songs and stuff.
0: You were cultivating your indie folk persona at the time.
1: I was indeed. And The National from Ohio. They were from a different part of Ohio. But they have this song called Blood Buzz Ohio, which probably would have been a strong contender for this. And again, it's one of those tracks. I really have no idea what the lyrics are about. But they're still really poetic. And the chorus just like hits me in a similar vein, I think.
0: In terms of the people that you met out there, did you have any friends out there? Did you get your neighbours or the community? Or did you feel like you were slightly separated and outside of civilization?
1: So actually, the reason why I was there was I got this scholarship. And I was basically an exchange student. So I went to American school. So on my year out, I got like a fully funded scholarship to do American high school for a year as like a cultural engagement trip. So I went to this like American boarding school. So it was in the suburbs and it was, you know, all these beautiful, like old buildings and lots of greenery. But because I was at a boarding school, like I was just like living with everyone. So you formed really close relationships and yeah, like people I'm still in contact with, which is nice. And I was the only English person there. So I had to put up with people doing terrible, terrible English impressions of me. Like a full year. But a fun fact I like to tell people is that I would sing the American National Anthem at basketball games. Like, because that's how they start off. Even at high school, someone sings the National Anthem. And for some reason, I did that. Sometimes I would do it with a friend. But it was just so surreal. Like, being in these, like, big basketball courts and me not being an American person I was like will people be annoyed at me if I mess this up like is that disrespectful if I get the lyrics wrong or like I missed the top note The,
0: the people you met were really happy that you were blasting out the American national anthem were they not pleased that you were getting on board with the culture
1: I think they all thought it was quite funny. Like it was like an inside joke. Cause the opposing team, they wouldn't know that this was just like a random English girl singing the national anthem. Like I just thought it was all quite funny. I don't think any of my friends were especially patriotic. Like there were definitely a couple of patriotic people. I would say it was like the first time in my life I had like lots of POC friends cause where I grew up was really white. So I feel like everyone's patriotism was well, like a lot of criticism towards American nationalism especially because I was there the year that Trump got elected. So it was all a bit tongue in cheek, I think, when I was doing the national anthem, because we weren't always... I definitely hated America more than I've ever hated America when I was, like, during that time because of Trump stuff. Because, yeah, it was quite intense. And a high vote for Trump, so there were a lot of Trump supporters as well.
0: That must have been insane, being around that energy. Were you there during the election and when the result was announced?
1: Yeah, we were watching it as a boarding house, and for some reason, someone had Fox News on. And there was just like a moment in the night where I can't remember which state went, but like a state went, and then you just because everyone was pretty confident, like they didn't think that Trump was going to win. Like we were like, I'll be fine. And then it just like turned, and there were a couple of people in the boarding house who were like pro Trump, and they were like cheering, and then lots of people were crying. And like the next week at school, it felt like someone had died, literally. there so it was like collective mourning. But then you still had that like undertone of people who were really happy. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a weird one to navigate. I think I found it quite overwhelming, especially as I had literally just come from like the Brexit vote, which I wasn't old enough to vote for. And then a couple months later, I ended up in America in another thing that I had no control over, but I was like massively like ethically opposed to. I feel like I definitely got a bit disillusioned by politics. Like those two things combined, I just was like, no, for like a year or two, and then I woke up a bit again. I don't know. I think, and then I was like, no, things can change or whatever, and became more involved. I wanted to engage.
0: Those two events really did maybe set you on a different course or made you think about politics in a different way
1: yeah I just think I felt so like when I was at school I was doing like politics a level was I've like, always been like quite passionate about things and then yeah I don't know something like switched in my brain I think I had a year of arguing with my politics teacher in America and you know just like finding it so hard to explain something to people who don't want to listen and then there's also like obviously there's a middle ground where you have to accept that people have different opinions but I think when in that time like people's views were pretty racist and classist and just like (laughs) founded on lies it's quite draining so yeah when I came back to the UK I think I was also like surrounded by a lot of people who were like really political in my first year of uni and I like didn't really get involved and then I think I like got that out of my system like I probably needed to I had like a bit stressed or whatever which is I mean that's a very privileged thing for me to say but yeah I just needed a break from that I think you do get very worked up about those things do affect you and your outlook on life and yeah just those two things continuously I think was a lot but back on it caring about stuff again
0: (laughs) yeah it feels like activism might become something you want to pick up again should we have your third record what's your third record you're going to be sending up into space
1: so my third record is a classic. It's Bam Bam by Sister Nancy. And I picked this one because I have such a clear memory of hearing it for the first time, which was probably like embarrassingly late for the first time hearing it, especially someone who was actually half to make it. But I remember I went to the Latitude Festival in 2014, I think, so it was my first festival. And I was so excited. Like I remember being young, and just being like, when I grow up, I want to go to loads of festivals. And it was a bit of a contrarian. Everyone would go to Reading, but I was like, no, I want to go to Latitude, organise a group of friends. We were all definitely too sheltered and quite underprepared, so it was quite a hectic time. There's too many of us. It was, it was funny, it was funny. I had a good time. Um, but I have this memory of being in the woods, like midnight, one of the nights, and there was a sound system. It was like a couple... And I'm try- I've been trying to work out who it was. I think it might have been Gaz's rock and blues because it looked like a husband and a wife. But I remember they played this track and as well as lots of other reggae and ska and stuff and like early dance school. And I remember just like losing control of my body. Like I was completely sober, but I just danced so hard. And I remember being with a friend and she was like, oh, I don't know if I like it that much. And I was like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And there were all the people around us were like so into it, like you know, like eyes closed, like cutting like absolute shapes. And I was like, wow, everyone just loves music so much. But I just remember that song, and I think it really epitomizes my first festival experience of being exposed to something new and losing control of your body. And for that reason, I wanted to beam up to aliens because it's just a great party tune and i feel like what would life be without a bit of partying and fun and i think it sums that up i don't know and like jamaica's love to party too it just makes you want to dance it's interesting cuz obviously it's a dancehall track and before i like started getting into like reggae and dancehall specifically I got into like raga hip hop in my late teens. Like I really loved like Fushnikins. I thought they were so great, but I didn't pinpoint, oh, I love reggae. And then it was only when I started working at the shop and like started working my way back. I was like, oh, that's why I love these songs so much because they come from reggae. And like that as a genre really resonates with me and is my favorite music probably, which is funny because like I do come from a Jamaican background, but didn't really listen to any reggae or anything. And neither did my grandparents, so I discovered it on my own
0: terms. In the shop was the first time you were properly immersed in it and around it, and able to listen to your heart's content.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like before that, because I, I used to listen to a bit of reggaeton and dance hall, but it was more like modern dance hall, so quite separate from the reggae. And then I started working with my colleague Carl, and he's like the reggae guy in the shop, and he's taught me so much about reggae and yeah, we could really explore it in a really organic way of just, oh, this looks interesting. Oh, I like his voice. Oh, this rhythm is on this one. And you're kind of learning the difference between roots and yeah, like early dancehall and then Scar and rocksteady and dub. So yeah, it's been, and also like the parallels with soul cause I was probably more into soul at that point. And then there were lots of, you know, reggae covers of great soul tunes and seeing that connection. So, yeah, it was a real fun part of my, like, more recent music discoveries.
0: That sounds really special to have someone in the shop who can really give you time to get incredibly deep in a genre. And that must be one of the biggest perks of working in a record store like that, where you're absolutely encouraged to get completely obsessed with a particular sound. So, guys, check it out. Sounds of the Universe in Soho. Institution, you can't miss it. I mean, just coming up to the exterior of the shop, it looks like it has been there forever. And it looks like it was built up in Soho when the rest of Soho was being built.
1: It actually has quite good history. So we always get tour groups coming in because it used to be a pub. And then I think the Rolling Stones had their first rehearsal there, like upstairs. So like nearly every day I have like a Spanish tourist coming in being like, is this the Rolling Stones pub? And then after that, it was a violin repair shop. And then it became Sounds of the Universe. So I think it's been there for like 20 years, maybe. Like since the two, early 2000s. But before that, yeah, it had an interesting musical history.
0: Wow, that's crazy. When these tourists come in and they were looking for the Rolling Stones pub, do you try and get them into a, a spiritual jazz or a dub tune? Or do you not feel like it's the, <laughs> it's the right moment?
1: Usually they don't want to buy a record. They just want to like tick off that they've been there <laughs> and take a photograph. But yeah, it was just funny because, yeah, people are so excited. And then you get, I guess, because you've heard it so many times, you're like, yep. <laughs> but if you're a massive fan, I can imagine that's such an exciting thing. But the funniest thing is when there's the famous people in the shop and then tourists will be in there and they'll be like absolutely like, gobsmacked that they're standing in like the presence of you know like a hero but then they're regular to us maybe <laughs> so you forget that they're really really famous or you get like a lot of music people and it's there's a couple of like older rock stars who come in and then again it's like the dads they're literally like freaking out and it's so funny <laughs> it's really sweet
0: oh man sparing a thought for those hackney dads do the dads keep it together
1: actually there's been a couple that were really funny like quest love came in And this guy so sneakily bought the only Roots record that we had in the shop and then like slipped over to Questlove so he could sign it. It was like the fact we had one record and he looked at Questlove and was like, I'm taking advantage of this moment. But there was a a day when Paul Weller came in with Bobby from Primal Scream and he comes in quite a lot. But there was a couple of guys in there who looked like they were about to combust from excitement. I don't think they said anything. Then they'll come up afterwards and I'll be like, is that Bobby from Primal Scream? It's very sweet. Apparently Paul McCartney came in one time. I wasn't there. But he came in and there was no one in the shop, which is good because I feel like it meant that he could enjoy himself because I can imagine he would get swarmed. And he's just he's just having a browse.
0: I love that. That he doesn't go around with a massive entourage and he's just he's just the music head at heart.
1: Yeah, exactly. Apparently my colleague Carl was playing an Afrobeat record. And he asked if it was Fela Kuti. And then Carl's like, oh, no, no, it's someone else. And then Paul McCartney told him the story about how he went to his city in Nigeria and smoked the strongest weed of his life with Fela Kuti. And I was like, that must be so insane to hear that story from Paul McCartney. (laughs) And just be like, is this really happening? (laughs) Crazy. That
0: would be insane. I mean, those, uh, those music rock dads if they heard that, they would, I don't know what they would do. They would. Yeah, they would go crazy.
1: <laughs> Buy all the Beatles records on the shop and slide it over to Sound
0: <laughs> Yeah, oh my god. Should we hear your fourth track? What's the fourth track you're going to send up in space?
1: So, my fourth track is called Ice Bear and it's by a Swiss band called Grauzone and I think this is one of my favourite songs. I first heard it in the stop motion film called My Life as a Courgette or My Life as a Zucchini, if you're going for the American title. And it's all about these kids in foster care and they go on a trip and this song plays and they all just go crazy because it has this like really screaming guitar riff and you can't do anything but jump up and down and like throw your body about. It's all about like loneliness. And the lyrics are basically like, I wish I was a polar bear. Like if I was a polar bear, I wouldn't cry or something and i remember i played it on my radio show over covid and at that time i was living in a house of girls in finsbury park and everyone really liked the song and whenever we'd be hanging out or like having a drink as like a house we'd put the song on and it would just be this like really cathartic experience of like jumping around and just like on the sofa like i don't know releasing some demons because obviously it was that weird covid period so there was a lot of pent up angst everyone was having a very complicated time and i don't know this song was like such a salve for those frustrations and it represents the not the opposite of that the previous song like the bam bam is on the flip side of the same coin of like a different dancing that maybe doesn't necessarily come from like joy it comes from frustration but to me represents how like dance floors can be such a space to channel those more negative emotions And, yeah, find some catharsis through music, which I think, again, is an important part of the human experience. And as someone who likes, you know, maybe like the darker ends of music sometimes, I feel like those incarnations are reflected in how much I love this song.
0: But that must have been really tricky, being stuck in... At least you had your mates and at least you had had music. And was that the time at which you could all... Decompress together just to let out the frustrations of the day
1: for sure and I wasn't there the whole year parts of it I went home but when I did come back it was like a part of a group ritual occasionally someone will put it on and we all just like channel that that like frustration when we were all together in this house before I had to go back to my parents (laughs) because yeah it was quite tricky being in London all the time as I think a lot of uni students can relate to There's something almost like adolescent in the frustrations of it, but those emotions still really spoke to me as an adult and still do like a bit of a musical temper tantrum even.
0: When you go to those like darker places, I mean do you feel like you don't express them on the day to day and then when you hear a song like this it gives you a license to just fully let it all out?
1: No, for sure. I feel like post punk, punk like the hard ends of rock, they really, really take those energies and they make them into something really beautiful that allows people to access maybe those like less <laughs> glamorous of emotions like, I don't know, sadness, anger, frustration. And then you can put that song on and you know someone's maybe understood how you're feeling and like you can let it out. And that song just makes me want to dance. And it's like moshing or whatever. Not that I was ever really in a, a mosh pit, but I can imagine is a similar thing. Of you let it out together, maybe. <laughs> like a very physical, whether it's jumping up and down, banging into someone at a metal concert or something. <laughs> it allows you to understand those emotions and what it means to release it a little bit.
0: Sounds like, like when you hear this song, you're channeling a bit of that 15-year-old Annabelle at uh, Latitude where your limbs just go loose and you let it all out and just lean into the moment
1: yeah exactly like when that chorus hits I just have to jump up and down but I played it in a couple of sets and I love playing it in sets because when my friends are there they all go crazy and then some of the crowd obviously it's quite dissonant um, all the screams and it's like clanking about and some people are just so confused But then you also see other people they just get into the spirit of the song and like everyone's just jumping up and down like three-year-olds at their first disco yeah it's so fun yeah if I ever did a boiler room or something I'd love to end it on that track because I just think it would be really funny <laughs> but also like quite you know favorite song I remember I played it at Basket of Light last year and I had quite an early set so it wasn't like the busiest room but I remember I put it on and I just like got down from the decks and just jumped around with my friends and that's what I imagine. If I did do this in this theoretical boiler room, that's what I would do. I'd probably just leave the decks <laughs> and go have a good party by myself and my friends, not on camera.
0: I think the, you have to get the invitation now. If anyone's listening out there who can, <laughs> who can sort that oh out, gosh. then let's gosh, make it happen.
1: That would be so scary. <laughs> Maybe in a couple years. I'm scared of the comment section. Boiler room comments are quite savage.
0: Do you ever get involved in the comment section?
1: On certain comment sections. If you go on like the reggae vinyl pages, you'll see me being like, beautiful tune. Absolutely love this one. (laughs) Like when I really like a song, I leave a little comment and it's like me and all the, (laughs) like the granddad's being like, I listened to this one at my first disco when I was 12. This always reminds me of that time. Then it's me like absolute tune.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great tune guys. I love how it sounds like it's quite a short, message of appreciation like, oh you yeah go into detail but you're just you just have to get involved and just like get the message in that you love
1: it yeah is that like when i'm listening to it i'm grooving out I'm like yeah gotta leave some appreciation <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know a track's really good when it's got like a couple of comments like that i also love you get this on like a lot of soul shoes there's always someone being like this was my uncle rest up in heaven you've blessed so many people with your tunes <laughs> and it's always like yeah. this was my father you're like I hope it is hope <laughs> I don't know
0: I thought the same thing I wondered do you just know that you're going to get loads of likes by saying that yeah. or are you actually related and if you are related i'm so glad that you got involved
1: yeah it's a great flex like if that is actually your dad yeah. like if auto nurse is your dad or something please shout that from the <laughs> rooftops but if it's just a random person you never know with the internet do you
0: that leads us nicely on to your fifth and final tune that you're going to be sending up to space what is your fifth tune
1: So my fifth tune is a rock study track and it's called It Makes Me Feel by Larry Marshall. And I think it is my favourite Studio One recording. I had to think about that quite hard. So Studio One is like probably the most famous record recording studio label run by Cox and Dodd in Jamaica. Like, yeah, hundreds, probably thousands of recordings. And I have some proximity to Studio One because... Sounds of the Universe and Soul Jazz, which is a label that's attached to my work. We have like the Europe and I think Asia rights to it, UK rights. So I'm surrounded by these amazing Studio One compilations, which have really been like the A to Z for a lot of reggae for me. And I love this track, I just think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just all about like love and you might get your heart broken, but it's worth it. And you can't help it because you just love that person. I think Larry Marshall's voice is just so like rich, and I could listen to him single day. And I remember when I first started getting into reggae, a couple of the older guys at work. I think I was more into like the later end of stuff, and like more on the like dancehall end. And I I didn't really get the early stuff, like especially like Scar and the Rocksteady. It just didn't hit me at that point. And they were like, oh, the longer you listen to reggae, you'll realise you'll be into Rocksteady. Like everyone comes to Rocksteady eventually. I was like, yeah, yeah. And then that's exactly what's happened. And I just think in such a short period of time, there are so many of these like amazing recordings. And they're just so effortlessly beautiful. And yeah, you've got Alton Ellis on the backing vocals on this one. And it's just really heavenly, I think. And this is a song I'd want to play at my wedding or something. It's just, yeah, beautiful, beautiful track. Uh And yeah, aliens should listen to it because it's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard it before, but it was so special. I completely agree. His voice is so like rich. I had a look at him as an artist. It sounded like he was slightly less well known than others on the label. And he had like a hit Nanny Goat, which was a big one.
1: Yeah and there's like throw me corn which is quite a big one too mm. but nanny goat was his big big tune and he was like really pivotal in the shift from rocksteady to reggae but yeah he's more than yeah lesser known more of a, a head's favorite maybe
0: <laughs> wicked i think that brings us to the end of the conversation i've absolutely loved this chat and getting to hear where you came from musically and your influences and and also to revisit green day that has just been a complete pleasure (laughs) coming back to it but yeah it feels like your schedule is absolutely packed at the moment anyway so it's it's great to see where this is all going and it feels like yeah the the gigs are hopefully just going to keep on coming and who knows maybe you'll be you know rocking out at your boiler room to that (laughs) post-punk before you know it but in terms of just signing off, in terms of the tracks that you've put together, how do you think the alien life force is going to receive them?
1: Gosh, I think they're going to think that human beings are quite emotional beings. I feel like <laughs> all of the tracks I've picked, even though they're from different genres, other than maybe Bam Bam, which is a bit lighthearted, they're all coming from like quite deep emotions, whether it's like love, anger, <laughs> feeling insignificant. <laughs> So I think they'll think of humans as quite controlled by their emotions maybe, but also finding great creativity from those places too.
0: What a message. And uh, they'll be, yeah, transported (laughs) to Wisconsin as well. And learn a bit about the the desolate emptiness of Wisconsin through through Bonny Bear, obviously. (laughs) Wicked. Van to Annabelle, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been been wicked chatting to you and uh, yeah very much looking forward to seeing where your career goes next
1: yeah I no, thank you so much for having me it's been really great and it's lovely to have an excuse to talk about my own music taste don't always get the chance to do that so yeah and it's been really nice at the nostalgic end of it rediscovering green day maybe i'll start getting back into their discography again
0: <laughs> this is the moment Humans, I hope you enjoyed that alien transmission. If you liked this podcast, please rate and review wherever you listened, as it really helps us reach more Earthlings. If you'd like to hear more, visit CosmicCassette.com or go to SoundCloud, where you'll find all of the episodes. If you'd like to hear more from the Mothership, go to the website and sign up for the cosmic transmissions newsletter which will give you a fortnightly email with the podcast an incredible new music recommendation and a club night recommendation i hope to see you again